Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent who dreams for their child and every child who dreams for their future, I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you.
you are entering the Rory Sauter Show, home of America's Man of the Hour and home of America's biggest Trump supporters. Climb aboard and buckle up your seatbelt because this is a wild ride. Nothing but unfiltered talk and the hardcore truth. Mega, mega, mega. Sauter Show. Happy Wednesday. Happy Hump Day. I hope wherever you are, you are having a fabulous day and everything is going accordingly and well. Um, it's a huge day in the media. We have a lot going on, a lot to talk about. Um, we had a great show yesterday. I want to thank all my guests from yesterday. Uh, we got a lot of uh, great topics addressed and covered. Um, there's some things we didn't get to yesterday that we will get to today. Um, and I, I want to say thank you again to all the listeners. I mean, it's just every episode we get more and more listeners. And now we have thousands of listeners. And we're all over the United States with listeners. And now we're in other countries as well, Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, United Kingdom, Canada. Um, very impressive. Uh, very appreciative. I say thank you all. Um, it's, a, it's an honor. Uh, it's, uh, you know, that I can bring you my insight and, uh, you know, give you, uh, you know, my picks on a daily basis. And uh, I just love, I love the support. I mean, God bless you all. Um, 
we have uh, on the line right now, we have my co-host, Josh. What's going on, buddy? Howdy, howdy. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? Fantastic. Doing well. Uh, what's going on? Anything new? What's what's the deal, yo? I mean, hey, just driving home from uh, from a little work, and uh, honestly, it was <laughs> I'm uh, I'm so ecstatic about the bill uh, that uh, Trump signed today, the uh, right to try. Absolutely. I can't wait to get right to talk to about that. Yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking a lot about that. It's a very exciting, very big deal, huge accomplishment for um, every day. Though, uh, Josh, we're seeing Trump signing a new bill, delivering on a new promise. I mean, the guy doesn't stop. He keeps working. He's a machine. He's a profound machine. There's never been anything like him. I mean, he is. He's the closest thing to a superhero. You know, I mean, he's the closest thing to, he's like, it's like he's not even human. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, it blows my no, mind. It, it, it's fantastic. I mean, I mean, I'll be the first to say, like, I voted for Let Trump. Let me tell I you real quick. That excited. Yeah, go ahead. It's like, it's like watching Michael Jordan play basketball. It's like, blow, it blows your mind. I, I think you mean LeBron James, don't you? Come on. <laughs> Well, you know, debatable, I guess. But, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, w- I was not the hugest Trump supporter coming out. Like, you know, I wasn't – I didn't really support him. He was my first choice in the primary. Obviously, I voted for him in the general election. But, I mean, every doubt I had about him has been completely yeah. flipped over to I'm the most – I'm so pro-Trump it's not even funny. Everything he said yeah. he's, gonna, he's, he's done he, – he wanted to do, he's either done or doing, and stuff – it's common sense. He's doing that. He never even promised. He never even said he was good. Like this right to try. He never even mentioned this yeah. in any of his uh, campaign, um, you know, uh, stuff. So like, it's fantastic. I, I wouldn't have anybody else be president right now. Oh my, it's, it's a miracle. He's a miracle worker. I call him America's savior. I mean, he is the person that saved Western civilization. I mean, this guy is, Oh my God! It brings tears of joy to my eyes every single day. It's it's something to be very uh, proud of, and just like it gives it gives me so much passion and so much enthusiasm, so much energy. You know, like I wake up and I can't wait to read what Trump's doing next. Like it's it's the greatest feeling on earth. No, it's pretty fantastic, and especially when I when I can go to CNN and read articles about what Trump's done, and, and for instance, like the right to try, they couldn't even say anything negative because even they're like, wow, this is actually, you know, a good bill. You know, <laughs> I love it when he does stuff that's so good, they can't even bash him because yeah. if they do, they'll yeah, they, seem, I mean, they already they, look ridiculous, but, you know. They, yeah, they try. They try the hardest they can to fabricate it and make it look bad, but sometimes they can't. They have to tell, they have to tell the truth because there's no way of twisting it. Um, I do want to mention, though, a very exciting show for tonight. We have international security expert, Islamic historian, political activist, and best-selling author Valerie Greenfeld will be calling in. We also will be having political strategist, contributor to the Washington Times and LifeSet.com, keynote speaker, best-selling author, success coach to thousands of entrepreneurs worldwide, and founder of the Millennial Solution, Brian Bashi will be calling in. He's a, he's a very uh, popular guy. I'm very excited to talk to him. He's been on the show before. Uh, he's doing a lot of great things. Same with, Val- same with Valerie. Um, Valerie Greenfield, 
is uh, has a lot of great projects going on, and we're very excited to hear from her. Um, Gianni Rodriguez Perez, my co- our co-host, will be joining us shortly. Um, and we yeah, we just have a lot of great things going on for the evening. Um, I do want to play something though, very disturbing, that got released today. And we're we're going to come back to all the headline news, all the main topics, all the stuff that matters. But real quick, there was a video that surfaced today of Nicholas Cruz. Um, basically, you know, pre, pre, you know, his whole premeditation, his whole uh, saying what he was going to do right before the murder on video, records it, glorifies it. I mean, this is a sick fucking kid. There's something. I mean, this is just pure evil. I mean, this is something you'd see out of a movie. And the kid is literally like, ha ha, like laughing about it. And telling his exact plan, I'm going to get in the Uber, I'm going to go do this. You, everybody has to hear this. Like, this is absolutely terrifying. I mean, and this, it's sad that human brains, some human brains work this way. And, uh, I mean, it's scary, really scary. But here we go. 2-5. Um, Hello. My name is Nick, and I'm going to be the next school shooter of 2018. My goal is at least 20 people. With an AR-15 and a couple tracer rounds, I think I can do a good done. Location is Stone Douglas in Parkland, Florida. It's gonna be a big event. And when you see me on the news, you'll all know who I am. Wow. <laughs> You're all going to die. What a shit. Can't wait. Alright, so here's wow. the plan. I'm going to go take an Uber in the afternoon before 2.40. From there, I'll go into the uh, school campus, walk up the stairs, unload my bags, and get my AR and shoot people down at the main, was it, the main courtyard. Await, and people will die. Today is the day. The day that it all begins. The day of my massacre shall begin. All the kids in school will run in fear and hide. From the wrath of my power, they will know who I am. I am nothing. I am no one. My life is nothing and meaningless. Everything that I hold dear, I let go beyond your half. Every day, I see the world ending another day. I live a lone life, live in seclusion and solitude. I hate everyone and everything. With the power of my AR, you will all know who I am. I had enough of being told what to do and when to do. I had enough of being telling me that I'm an idiot and a dumbass. But in real life, you're all the dumbass. You're all stupid and brainwashed by these political government programs. You will all see. You will all know who my name is. My love for you, Angie, will never go away. I hope to see you in the afterlife. One well, day or another, you will end and we'll all die. Can you believe this, kid? Unbelievable. Wow. I. It. You know, at the beginning, it almost it almost sounds like it's just a joke, and then it's just like, and then you like yeah. start to realize about wow. 
this is the actual bastard who went up and shot that school, and this is what he did beforehand. It's sickening. Glorifying it on camera, spreading it to the whole entire universe that he's happy about what he's fucking doing. I mean, no remorse. Total, I mean, it, it, just total. I mean, that's like as evil as it gets. That's something that you would see in a movie. I mean, this is like almost surreal in a sense. Man, I, I'm almost lost. One of the things I really thought was interesting that he said was about how he was talking that, you know, basically he said that life, my life doesn't matter. I, boy, that is that sure is a big problem with the young people of our country now. The the way that our the our our, our oh, yeah. the way that we value life is so diminished to what it was, heck, twenty years ago. It's um it's sad, and I you know it's I in my opinion it's the reason that I think a lot of these things are happening. You know, I obviously you and I both agree it has nothing to do with the guns. Um, no, you know, there it's mental health. It's, just, it's yeah, it's, it's mentality. It's you know, in in a lot of ways, I didn't mean to uh, cut you off. I want to let you continue, but real quick, it's a lot of it's parenting, it's mental health. I mean, it's, it could be various things, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's I think it's all those things, and um, you know, I mean, you know, in other countries they have you know just as many guns per capita, yet none of these problems and. But but in a lot of those countries as well, um, they're taught the value of life. Like there's a there, I can't remember. I can't think of the country off exactly. the top of my head. Is it Switzerland? And they're, and they're not crazy. They're not crazy maniacs like people here in our country that end up. I mean, exactly. these prisons and these jail, these prisons in our country and jails are so damn full. I mean, if we if we even took that route, which some of these countries have taken with guns, I mean, we would be in a lot of trouble. I mean, us as innocent human beings. You know, with all the guns on the streets that criminals can get, it'd be a scary situation. No, absolutely. I mean, it's sadly, it's the world we're. I mean, it's the world we're living in now with the way that things are. So, um, you know, the question is, how do we fix it? You know. Right. I mean, and that's that's the pivot. I mean, that's the the million dollar question. I mean, that's the, you know, how do we fix it? I mean, I. And I've always said this, and I've said this on my show several times. You can never change evil. Evil is always going to exist. If somebody wants to go out and plan a, an attack or a murder like this kid did and like, all, like these people have done, they're going to find the weapon. They're going to find the gun. They're going to find the way to do it. They're not gonna, you're not really going to stop them unless you know what they're doing ahead of time. But there's a lot of these people that, you know, keep it, uh, to themselves, and I mean, there's but there's also a lot of people getting arrested that are making threats like this to do this. Like there's people getting arrested for threatening to shoot up schools and stuff like that. But my point is, it it it's absolutely it's absolute stupidity that the left, the Democrats, want to even go down the route of, you know attacking the second amendment and attacking guns when in, in reality, uh, look at every NRA, NRA member, never broken a law, always have, have abide, been abiding citizens. Um, look at, look at the, the people that get the guns are the criminals. So all these, I mean, and we have the saddest part about all of this is we have Democrats on the left 
and that, that tell their voters, tell their sheep, oh, yeah, we need to ban assault rifles. For, and I'll ban all these guns. First of all, there's nothing, there's no such thing as an assault rifle. Uh, we, you might as well say assault spoon, assault bat, assault car. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, you know, it was amazing when, you know, there was a shooting about a week ago, and no AR was used. There was no, any, none of that was used, and you didn't hear any of the Democrats talking about it, which, you know, is funny. And their sheep stayed silent, and they're they're just a bunch of hypocrites, and they're a bunch of it's disgusting. But getting back to my point, there's millions of illegal guns on the street, people, and there's millions of weapons on the street, and evil has existed for all these years. Evil's never going to go away. Evil's never going to change. People are going to have to realize that. No, I mean you're 100 percent right, and it's. It's not a gun issue. It's not a. It's not a weapon issue. It's a heart issue. Period. Period. End of point. Um, and that's what. That's what needs fixed. People's. Pe- people's hearts and or like or minds. That's what. That's what's caused these people to do. You know, guns. You know, guns aren't pulling the trigger. The old joke. You know, spoons don't make you fat. Um, and you know, the right. left. The, seems they. You know, and I. I can't even say that they don't see it. I think the voters don't see it. But I know that the politicians understand it. They just they they don't want to see it because they want to push their right. crazy agenda. That you know, and I mean that's just the way it is with their side. Which is one of the reasons you know that we fight against them so hard because they want to take away our God-given rights of self-defense, which is you know God-given and constitutional given. They're trying to take that away, and it's you know it's an absolute atrocity. Well, I absolutely 100% agree with you. And, uh, you know, wait, uh, somebody's calling in. Uh, thank you for calling the Rory Sauter Show. Who am I speaking with? Uh, I get Scott again from Buffalo. I just want to call in again tonight. What's going on? Hey, the Scott, how you doing, night. man? Yep. Oh, yeah, you, yeah called you, in for, you, called in for, you called in for the first time last night, right? Yeah, the yeah, uh, what's up, man? Yeah, 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 how you doing? How you doing? Uh, that that Josh? It is Josh yeah, from last night. Yeah, I, I remembered his name from last night. Um, yeah, so um, I was I was I had a question for you. Do you think acts of sanctions are an act of war? Like, no, I don't because you have to draw firm. You have to be direct, and you have to draw. You have to be firm, and you have to have guidelines, and you have to have. You know, there's boundaries you can't cross, and there's certain limits that you can't that you can't push. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I, I guess. Um, I don't know. I just don't think it's sometimes. You know, like with a country like Russia, okay. You know, they apparently hacked our election, and you know, we still put sanctions on them. But I think, hey, no, Scott, we Scott real quick, I'm going to interrupt you, Scott. Scott, please don't tell me you believe yeah. you're one of those people that believes Trump had anything to no. do with Putin. Please. No, no, absolutely not. I'm not. I think the Russia okay. thing is completely off off the chain and bonkers. I, okay, I'm good. with that. I'm not one of the people. I just want. I just. I just think acts of sanction against Russia we shouldn't do because they're such a powerful military and we should want to work with them because you know it, the Cold War is over. Let's let's just let's just say that it's over. It needs to. We need to kind of cool it down a bit. But um, that's just my take on it. I, you said that it's kind of a guideline. Um, so yeah, I respect your opinion. Just wanted to hear what you had to think about it. Josh, what do you think about it? 
So my my opinion is I think they can be very useful when there is a country that is abusing their own people and we can't step in. It's it's not appropriate for us to put troops on the ground, so to speak. And I think it can be it can be used um, to provide to you know to to help that situation. The problem is though, the only thing I don't like about it is. Uh, the, the the thing I can't stand is that the the problem is that the people that live in that country are going to get hurt either way. So like they'll end up f- facing pain from those sanctions um, almost more than the government does. So you know sometimes like it can be used for good. You know, so. Clinton had sanctions on Iraq in the '90s that killed uh, a ton of children, women and children. Um, so that's not our Democratic president. So it's kind of funny when Democrats sometimes you know. Uh, try to use the anti-war card when, you know, that's they, they, how they win votes sometimes and they lie to people, you know. Spe- you know, speaking of speaking of Russia, I want to uh, I want to get into that. You know, there's a there, there's so much BS going around and all the fake news and all the baloney and just all the garbage. I mean, we we have literally what's really you know out in the news today and very irritating. Um, is Jeff Sessions, obviously, we know a long time ago, recused himself from the Russia investigation. And, you know, Trump and and Jeff Sessions kind of went at it today. And, you know, Trump is second-guessing why he ever hired Jeff Sessions. And I'm wondering, you know, Trump should have known all along. Trump should have known all along that hiring – I mean, just look at the last year. Jeff Sessions has done nothing. I mean – I mean, I, I, Trump's not stupid. I just believe Trump was being loyal to Jeff Sessions because Jeff Sessions was one of the very first people that supported him. But if you – I mean, Jeff Sessions needs to go. And now I think Trump is at his wit's end and going to – is looking uh, for a replacement is what I'm told. I mean, Jeff Sessions probably will not be there much longer. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it, he's just an embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. Plus, he looks like Mr. Magoo, so it is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> on an unrelated point. Anyways, yeah, I don't like Jeff Sessions either. Um, and I'm uh, glad that he's out. He's part of the swamp. And I, when I didn't like the, the point, appointment in the beginning, I, I thought it was bad. And it kind of did go haywire. So we definitely need there a better needs, replacement. There needs to be a gat like a Trey Gowdy or a, you know a tough kind of persona that will prosecute Hillary Clinton and prosecute all of these people, you know, and, and actually take action. We don't want somebody sitting around this little, this little midget, uh, the, the Jeff Sessions. I mean, yeah, he's a little wimp, Jeff. I can't stand the guy. I, he's such an, oh my God. But anyways, I want to he's play like, a clip. He's, on McC- he's almost on McCain level for me. Um, oh, he, he is. I don't like he's an emba- he's an, yeah, he's an embarrassment. Um, but here's Trey Gowdy talking about uh, the Russia investigation. I'm going to play this clip real quick. Uh, three, five. So joining us now, South Carolina Congressman Trey Gowdy, chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, also member of the House Intel Committee. Uh, and you were one of those who saw some of the background documents related to this issue of whether or not there was a spy or an informant in the campaign late last week. Um, anything you can share on a broad scale about what, what went down there? I think there are two things important to understand. Number one, the source of President Trump's frustration. Uh, Brennan said he should be in the dustpan of history. Comey said impeachment's too good of a remedy. Clapper doesn't like him. Loretta Lynch said call it a matter and not an investigation. 
Schiff said he had evidence of collusion before we even began the investigation, and 60 Democrats have voted to impeach him before Bob Mueller has come up with a single solitary finding. That's what's got him frustrated. What should have him heartened is the fact that Chris Ray, Rod Rosenstein, and all the senior folks at DOJ now were all Trump appointees. So here's what's fair to ask. What did the FBI do? When did they do it? What was the factual predicate upon which they took whatever actions they took and against whom were they directed? But remember, Martha, it was President Trump himself who said, number one, I didn't collude with Russia, but if anyone connected with my campaign did, I want the FBI to find that out. It looks to me like the FBI was doing what President Trump said, I want you to do, find it out. He's not the target. So when Schiff and others don't make that clear, they're doing a disservice to our fellow citizens. He's but, not the target. But this raises the question that the president raised in this in this one of those tweets. There were a lot of them, uh, and which we talked about quite a bit here last week. Is if that were the case, why didn't they give him a little briefing? So here's what we found out. Uh, you know, we do have somebody who asked some questions of George Papadopoulos. We do have somebody who's asked questions of um, of Carter Page. Here's what you need to know. Um, I, I think defensive briefings are done a lot, and why the Comey FBI didn't do it, um, I don't know. But Chris Ray and Rod Rosenstein have at least made it clear to us Donald Trump was never the target of the investigation. He's not the current target of the investigation. Now, keep in mind, that can all change depending on what a witness says. But as of now, I think Chris Ray and Rod Rosenstein are stunned whenever people think Trump is the target of their investigation. I'll leave it up to them how to brief the president or was how to brief the lawyers. that point of view that you're talking about right now, was that strengthened when you went into this briefing last week? Yes. I, I, am, I am even more convinced that the FBI did exactly what my fellow citizens would want them to do when they got the information they got and that it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. All right. So given the things that were over here on your right hand, all the frustrations, um, do you think it's problematic the way the president has is tweeting about this all the time because because he feels like he needs to get he needs to vent he's got to get his message out there is it legally problematic in your mind what he's doing i think anytime you create prior statements you give Mueller or other folks a chance to question you on them and ask uh, what was your factual basis why did you say that uh, the president should have access to the best legal minds in the country um, and i think he should take advantage of those and he's got some really good communicators that are on his staff and at his at his call. Uh, if I were his lawyer, and I never will be, I would tell him to rely on his lawyers and his comms folks. All right, here's one of them, uh, Rudy Giuliani, speaking with Bill Hammer over the holiday weekend. Watch this. What's wrong with the government trying to figure out what Russia was up to? Nothing wrong with the government doing that. Everything wrong with the government spying on a candidate of the opposition party. That's a Watergate. Spygate. I mean, uh, and without any warning to him. And now, to compound that, to make it into a criminal investigation, Bill, that's why this is a rigged investigation. There, there are two things wrong with what the former U.S. attorney said. Uh, number one, no one knows whether this is a criminal investigation. Mueller was told to do a counterintelligence investigation into what Russia did. Uh, number two, President Trump himself in the Comey memo said, if anyone connected with my campaign was working with Russia, I want you to investigate it. And it sounds to me like that is exactly what the FBI did. I think when the president finds out what happened, he's going to be not just fine. He's going to be glad that we have an FBI that took seriously what they heard. 
He was never the target. Russia so is the target. So it sounds to me as if you would advise him that there's no problem with him sitting down with Robert Mueller. Oh, absolutely not. I, I, I have always said, I think you ought to sit down with Bob Mueller. You've told us publicly there was no collusion. You've told us publicly there was no obstruction. Say in private what you've said publicly. Limit the scope to exactly what the, what the Mueller memo is. But but if he were my client, and I'd say if you've done nothing wrong, then you need to sit down and tell Mueller what you know. All right. Uh, you know, we had, there was one judge who said that the, the scope was all over the place. Do you feel comfortable with the scope of this investigation, and do you feel like your committee has, has been shared with uh, to the extent that that exists, that the scope exists? I'm not sure what the scope of the Mueller probe is, but I know this. Rosenstein is the one who created the memo. Right. It's not Bob Mueller's fault. Have you it's, seen that memo? I have. I have. I, I've seen the memo that you've seen also. The, the, the other memo some of my colleagues want to see is a more narrow um, the one that basically permission. says investigate Russia and all re anything related to it. it, it, it and, and as a throwaway line at the end, and of course, if there's any criminality, look at that too. I mean, we run towards the criminality, but, but I would think everyone would want to know what Russia did. So, so I mean, with whom, if anyone, is the second part. The first question is, what did Russia do? We'll see. Trey, thank you very much. Yes, Good to see you. I mean, there you go. There you go, folks. I mean, it's a total witch hunt. Trey Gowdy is the man. We all know Trey Gowdy is a true, true patriot, true hero. Uh, he's, um, he's, he's always uh, very genuine, very authentic. You know, tells it how it is. Nothing crooked about him. Um, and he's definitely on President Trump's side. And, I mean, this is all a total joke. I mean, what's going on? And, uh, you know, and, and now, that, now they're saying, oh, President Trump is not the uh, target of the investigation. That's what they're telling. I, I don't believe that. When, you know, they're telling Gowdy and they're telling other people that Trump is not the target of the investigation. Bullshit. They want Trump out of there so bad. They want to find That's any way possible. To impeach him, they want to find any way possible to indict him. I mean, we know that we're not stupid. Yeah, there's no, yeah, yeah. So I think um, I definitely think it's all a farce, and I think it's it's like the main dem the Democrats are losing steam with their quote blue wave. It's it's like the little engine that could that a red wrong wave coming, buddy. It's not going well. <laughs> it's going to be a red wave. I mean, you know, and there's proof because a few weeks ago. The Democrats were up by double digits in the midterm polls. Now the Democrats are only up by three points, which is within the margin of error. So it's basically a tie. So you look at this, and it's like America's waking up. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you see the, the proof more and more every day. It's like a little bit more and more people are, are seeing the light. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I definitely think um, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I think there's going to be a lot of uh... – a lot of victories, and I think they'll. I think they might lose a few seats based on you know the big cities and you know people who are just um, completely partisan and won't work with the other party. But uh, yeah, I think they'll uh, they'll they'll hold on, and he'll have another two years of uh, just the uh, the House and the uh, the Senate as Republican control. They got to they got to get uh, they got to get an infrastructure bill done though. That has to happen. Your 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 thoughts, Josh. Go ahead. I know you want to you want to speak on this. Yeah, no, I mean, I that interview was hilarious about how hard that they were trying to get Trey to say something inflammatory yeah. that they could push, uh, and, and right. he just like 
And Trey's always done this. I don't know why they keep trying with him, but he just goes straight down the line and never wavers to the right or to the left. He just says what he thinks and doesn't change anything. You know, and right. uh, I, boy, I love him for doing that. I, uh, I really wish that he would, you know, be more involved in something like the FBI or something like that because he has the, he has the um, um, prosecutor background for it. So that would be fantastic if he could get involved. Um, either as a, a, an attorney general position in the United States or, uh, you know, somewhere in the FBI. But, boy, I love I love Trey Gowdy. Yeah, me too, absolutely. And I do want to play a real quick clip of what Rudy Giuliani said over the, week, uh, over the weekend about this whole thing. And, you know, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani knows it's a total witch hunt. 1-3. Uh, but another big topic for the White House, uh, turning now to the special counsel, what is the yeah. likelihood of the president testifying before the special counsel? Uh, what are his lawyers saying about it? Okay, so Rudy Giuliani was actually on Fox News Sunday in a very captivating interview with our Bill Hemmer. If you didn't get a chance to see it, I would really highly recommend it. A fascinating conversation. Uh, Giuliani was talking about the idea that the president does, in fact, want to testify. He wants to get out there and state his case. But you made a very interesting distinction at the end. You said, what are his lawyers telling him to do? And right now, Rudy Giuliani is saying absolutely without uh, certain conditions, the president will not, in fact, testify before the special counsel. Now, this is complicated because obviously there is a legal matter here. But there's also legal precedent. There's also presidential powers at stake here, Heather. Uh, I want you to listen very carefully as we describe not just how Mueller continues to shape this probe, but how the president's lawyers see this as an attack on him. Nothing wrong with the government doing that. Everything wrong with the government spying on a candidate of the opposition party. That's a Watergate, yep. a spygate. Yep. I mean, uh, and without any warning to him. And now, to compound that, to make it into a criminal investigation, Bill, that's why this is a rigged investigation. That's why the president's been right from the beginning. Way back when the president said there was surveillance of his campaign, turns out he was right. It was, it was human surveillance rather than technical surveillance, but surveillance nonetheless. There have been those, including Adam Schiff, who pushed back against the notion that the president was spied on. But obviously, uh, it is something that the Department of Justice is looking at very carefully. This is a complicated story, one that I suspect will continue to unfold in the weeks and months ahead. Heather, back to yeah. you. This is we're also talking about the possibility of uh, peace on the Korean Peninsula, which yep. we should definitely be focusing on. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Very, very well said by Rudy Giuliani. And, and Rudy and Trey Gowdy are, are totally right. Um, I mean, this, you know, this, this has to end, and it will end. And, uh, you know, they're not going to get to the president, uh, Mueller and, and his cronies. They're going to try, but it's not going to fly because, uh, like I've said many times, President Trump is bulletproof. He's invincible. <laughs> you can't... Um, you just can't. I mean, nothing hurts the guy. You can't. You can't. He, he's like uh, he, he's a superhero. I mean, it, it, it's. They keep trying. And here's the thing: they keep trying and trying and trying, and they didn't find anything on Russia. So then they go to his personal life and try to go Stormy Daniels route, and they try to go through Michael Cohen, and this has nothing to do with Russia. And, and the fact that they're going outside of what they originally were out to investigate, uh, what they were, the thing they were originally out to investigate for, which is Russia, and they're not 
you know, they don't find anything there, so they want to – and it's totally – it's illegal. I mean, it's totally – I mean, can you imagine if somebody did this to Obama and, and the spying and all of this nonsense? I mean, Trump was right all along when he said he was being spied on, but we remember a couple months ago the liberal media laughed at him uh, when he said he was being spied on by Obama. But now we found out it's absolutely true. I mean, it's all the stuff, all the revelations, all the stuff that's coming out on a daily basis – um, it's 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 absolutely mind blowing some of this stuff I'll tell you, um, but I real well, quick well, guys, oh, go ahead. I do want to welcome our special guest to the show, but well, go ahead real quick. Um, yeah, well I'm thinking, um, you know what? I think it the Democrats don't really want to, a pushback from Republicans on this because it could blow off the cover off of a lot of what's wrong with our government. It really could. I think that's a that's a lot of the reasons the Democrats are resisting. You know, sort of the deep state getting involved in, in the establishment. So. That's something to think yeah, about as well. Yeah. No, I hear you, man, for sure. Um, but on the yeah. line now, we have international security expert, Islamic historian, political activist, and best-selling author, Valerie Greenfeld. How are you? Good to hear from Good. you. Good, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. First time on the show. Um, you have a great resume. You have a great background. You've done a lot in your life. You, you've been in the political realm for quite some time. Um, you, you've done a lot of legislation, different stuff in Washington over the years. Um, you're now writing a new book or you, and you have a new book out and then out. I, I think you told me you're, you're going to be writing another one as well. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, you have so much going on. So it's great to have you here. Um, I would love for you to start by telling us, you know, the, with, with my guests, I'd love to hear how it all started for you, like your background, your resume, you know, um, just, yeah, all that stuff. And then I have a lot of questions for you, for sure. Sure. Sure, I'm happy to tell you. Um, so I'm from Colorado, and, after, and at the end of my college um, education, I decided that I wanted to move to Washington, D.C., and work for the yeah. senator from Colorado. Uh, so that's what I did, and I was on Capitol Hill uh, for a couple years, and then I switched over and worked for a senator from Minnesota, um, and then um, I worked in the White House. So I guess the thing is that I wanted to make a difference. You know, most people that come to Washington all really, really come here with a positive attitude and really want to do the right thing. But then when they stay and stay too long, they get sucked into the swamp and things. The change. money. But I, it, well, it's the money, it's the power, it's the access. It's just, it's very corrupting. And, um, you know, I do think when they, when people first come here, the majority of them really want to make a difference. And then it just changes as time goes. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, 100%. 100%. And, you know, you you bring up, but, but keep going. I want to hear all about it. You have, a, you have a long, you know, you have a long history. Keep going <laughs> though. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sure. Keep going. Okay. Not at all. So um, I, I spent some time working for Henry Kissinger at CSIS, Center for Security and International Studies, and I worked in the Asia section. And this was a while ago um, during um, the uh, J- Japanese economic time when they were buying all kinds of stuff, and we, we started this Buy America campaign. And um, I spent some time there, and I worked for Reagan. Um, and I went to school. I got a couple master's degrees. And I started studying um, counterterrorism. And my youngest son actually asked me, he said, Mom, why did you move here? And I said, because I wanted to be Secretary of State. And 
and then, and then and then he says, "Well, how was it? You know, how was it being Secretary of State? As if you know it was like some easy thing to do." So you know, the more I learned about the the State Department, the more I didn't not want to work there. And so I guess you know you come here with a certain expectation, and then as time goes by, things change and 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 opinions change, and you see the world in a different place in a different way. Um, so uh, what else did you want to know? Um, I started working on counterterrorism issues, and I worked for the investigative project on terrorism, um, and they have the largest library in the world, um, information that they've been collecting for 25 years about various terrorist organizations and terrorists themselves, and they follow them all around the world. Uh, so, you know, I had the opportunity to work there, and then I decided I wanted to start studying from a, from a mom's perspective, I have four kids, and and you know I I could write a think tank kind of article, you know kind of book, but I wanted to do something that parents could actually use, like a handbook, that they can use to um, to protect their kids. How do you keep your kids safe? How do you, how is your family you know taking all of these shootings in schools, and and how does that feel? versus how it used to be. How how are these changes occurring and what should parents do to keep their kids safe? And that's kind of the, the reason that I started the research and the reason that I wrote the book. I wanted to, I wanted to reach grassroots Americans, which is really what you guys do. Yeah, very very nice. So so Paul, so going back a little bit, you worked for Reagan, the secretary so you worked for Reagan. What de, what what part what department did you work for Reagan in? I worked in legislative affairs on the Senate side, so they do have a separation one side of the House, one side of the Senate. And because I was in the, worked in the Senate, um, it was easy to just make the segue right into um, the the White House. And um, so the constituents, when you when you when you're a senator, that your constituents are the people in the state that you are representing, and when you're in the White House, the constituents are the senators themselves. So if a senator has a particular bill that they want to pass then the White House can work with them, you know, or if the president has a particular bill, then they, you know, you know who to talk to. So it's just a change of constituency. Make right, sense? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you were, sec- you were secretary of state. Um, who, what, <laughs> you, you said sec of state. That's very impressive. What, for what state were you secretary of state for? <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> and this is the thing, you know, when you're when you're talking to your kids and they they see things very simply in the world. Um, but the the longer I uh, stayed in Washington, the more I learned about the State Department. I you know realized that that is not really the place for me. I've had a lot of problems um, dealing with people there that are very swamp like, and I think that Trump is doing an amazing job, kind of going through and realizing, as I heard you earlier talking about the FBI, you know, there are a lot of holdovers that are inside the government that are really against Trump and trying to, you know, throw curveballs every step of the way. And I think the State Department, you know, is, has been a part of that. Right, absolutely. But you, so, but you said you were Secretary of State. When, when, what year was, when was this? Oh, no, 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 no. My son, my youngest son, asked me why I moved to Washington from Colorado. And I said to him, uh, because I wanted to be oh. Secretary of State. And he oh, said, he how wanted... was it, Mom? Oh, okay, gotcha. I didn't hear you clearly. It was a joke, okay. yeah. It was a joke. Okay. 
Okay, okay. Hey, I, so, I have a quick question, Rory, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. What was the political climate like during the Reagan um, um, presidency in D.C.? Because mm-hmm. I spent a decent bit of time in D.C. now during Obama and then Trump. What was it like during the Reagan uh, years? Completely different than it is now. Um, it's really, as I've watched the last many years, it's just been so sad because Reagan was a people's pe- he was a people's person. You know, he he got along with everybody. He always had a joke. He was always very relaxed and and welcoming and kind. And um, you know, he'd even go out with Tip O'Neill, the, the uh, speaker of the house at the time. You know, they're different parties, but they they got along. They'd go have a beer. You know, they they. Everybody got along in a different way. You know, here it's really like if you don't agree with me, I can't even talk to you. So, and so it's 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 so, poison. It's it's become a poison place now. It's a whole different ballgame. So if you you know, so the whole you know the Reagan thing is is absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's very, it's fascinating. I mean, the fact that you lived through that and you, you've seen so many different political eras, like you've seen it evolve, you've seen it go, you know, and you, I mean, and all that, you know, over the years, the swamp builds up and up and up and, you know, um, and there's just so many things that happen in Washington and, um, you know, it's, it's, you've seen it, you know, you, you've lived it, you, you've, um, you've been around it. You're making me sound really old. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. I mean, there was an element element of civility that was there. There was a more of a. Um, Did you say you have like a or something like that? I'm sorry. Okay. What did what? you say? Sorry. Okay. Somebody said something. There was an element of civility during those years that we have completely lost. Um, yes. It's as if the you know that that we are our own enemies, as if it was a civil war kind of um, feeling, and um, it, it's just a completely different different place. It's sad. No, absolutely, and and it's a different. You know, can you explain? You know, I know this might be difficult and kind of complex, but compared to when you. So what – okay, actually, this is very important. What year did you start in D.C.? What year did you start officially working in the political uh, industry? 85. Wow. So you've – okay. So you, you've, um, you've lived it. I mean, you – and you've, you've been doing it ever since. I mean, still today, um, you know well, – well, here's this. Start – what I want you to do is start from 85 and tell us everything you did until, you know – present the present day today because i want to know because it's it's interesting you know all the stuff you've done in washington you know your resume um you know you've done legislation you've done lot i think you've done some lobbying um <laughs> but yeah it's yeah but tell us please enlighten us. <laughs> my whole resume um so i came to work on the hill as an intern actually um for the senator from colorado and then i just moved up i stayed um and the and you know the people and these these offices are really good people, and they want to make a difference, and they want to, um, you know, make their mark. And the people in the, in you know at that time, I, I just think they it, we did a lot of a lot, and we and the people were honest, and they they tried hard to make 
the world a better place. And now it just seems more, um, I don't know, more against, everybody's against everybody else. Um, so, yeah, so I worked on the hill, and then I went across the hall. I was in the Heart Senate building on the fifth floor, and then I moved to the other side of the fifth floor, and I worked for Rudy Boschwitz from Minnesota, and um, he was on the Foreign Relations Committee, and he was very interested in um, agriculture because he, he represented Minnesota, uh, and then he ended up becoming an ambassador um, and helping the to airlift the Jews out of Ethiopia into Israel, which was just incredible. Um, and uh, still, I'm in touch with him today. He's uh, an amazing man. Um, and so from the Foreign Relations Committee, I got very interested in learning, you know, what he was doing there, and I started studying the Middle East, and I started learning about um, more about Israel and more about, uh, the the Arab countries and surrounding Israel and how how is that working and how do you know why is there's always a war over there and that kind of thing so um, I started studying you know international security um, at George Mason University and then um, and then I started working at CSIS in the Asian Studies section so um, am I boring <laughs> I'm just telling you my resume it's gonna boring um, no this is, this is so, fantastic. Yeah, that's um, great. Okay, so so then um, I then Reagan, um, I got I got the position at the White House and legislative affairs. The Ronald Reagan, amazing. Yeah, he was an amazing man. You know, he would walk down the hall, and always smiling. And you know, then there, you know, he, if he saw anyone, he would go up to them and shake their hand and speak with them for a moment, knowing that that's going to make their whole day. Um, and he was very aware of that, but he used it in a kind way. And for me, I felt like, um, you know, he was just a very good person. And anyway, um, so I worked there you were and say, spent some time. You were saying something. I yeah, cut you ahead. off. Oh, you, you were about to say, you were no, about to say ahead. it again. Go ahead. Sorry. I don't even. It's okay. Go ahead. I'm good. No, I, no, no. I wanted you to you keep going. Okay. So, um, I don't know. There was, you know, a lot of legislation that went through during that time period. Um, you know, it was interesting because as you kind of walk, as you as people walk into the White House, they have a certain aura yeah. about them. You know, they would have movie stars would come in, and we would see, you know, the different people and see them in a completely different light. You know, some were all business and just very focused, and some people were, um, you know, more friendly. And so I learned. You know, I learned about different personalities and how that really affects um, that does affect policy in some ways uh, uh, there's a gentleman that I, I studied under Dr. Jerry Post and he started, he's, he's a psychiatrist and he would analyze different people's um, personalities and, and use that to predict politics um, he started this, this organization within the CIA to do that and I thought that was fascinating how, can, how you can use psychology to determine um, political positions and to determine how people will react in different situations. Um, so uh, if, if, you, if you want, I can give you one example. He would study, you know, like Saddam Hussein, for example, and what kind of personality does he have? And if he was in a given situation from the President of the United States, if it was Bush, what would the outcome of this scenario be? 
um, that kind of stuff. And it was uh, just fascinating to figure out is this kind how this kind of information can the be used with, in return of foreign policy. Yes, it's. I mean, it's um, absolutely like you know, you, the fact that you get to live that, and there's many Ronald Reagan fans on the line, and. <laughs> Gianni, I know you, Gianni, my co-host from New York, I know you have a uh, couple questions. Yeah, so do you think, uh, you know, I just came on, but I heard a a lot of what you're saying, you know, the way Reagan was. Do you think uh, Reagan and Trump and, like, who they are can compare? I mean, I know that, like, you know, Reagan is this gentleman and things of that nature, but the way they carry themselves, you know, with the tax cuts and everything, do you see any similarities between them? Well, I think their ideologies are very similar. In fact, when I voted for Trump, I thought he was much more uh, liberal than he is. He's come to be quite conservative. And I think that Reagan, you know, Reagan was, I think they would get, they would have gotten along in terms of policy. Obviously their personalities are night and day, completely different. I mean, Reagan wouldn't even take off his overcoat in the white in the Oval Office because, you know, it was like he was so in awe of where he was, and the history was always in his mind of where he was. Um, so, you know, obviously their personalities are different, but I think their policies are pretty close. Great. Yeah, you know, I agree. Uh, you know, Trump wants to make America first, and I, I, you know, he wants to make the military strong. And Reagan had FBI, and, and Reagan, you know, did everything he could to stand up for our country and say, don't mess with us. And we have been missing that for quite some time. And now that Trump is back, I think he's truly, in a very short period of time, changed the, really changed the world. Because people are now realizing, countries yep. are realizing that if he says something, he's going to do it. So, you know, yep. don't mess with him. Yeah, like, right, don't cross right. his line. Like, like, don't cross his line. I mean, once... Once he says something, world leaders know he means it, and they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna test him because uh, they've tried that before and it uh, it doesn't work. Trump always wins, you know. Exactly, exactly. And I think people un- completely underestimated Trump. I mean, he's an incredibly oh, talented, yeah. incredibly 100%. hardworking man. You oh, know, yeah. he'll he'll they, work they hours and hours, and, that, and the press that, can't even keep up with him. And that's the problem. They underestimate him every day, and then he just proves them wrong. That's all. That's what he does. He proves them wrong, and, he, and we've, right. we've seen it with our own eyes. That's right. And and the North Korea um, uh, meeting, that's a, an amazing, amazing accomplishment. I mean, it's been how many years, 30, 40 years since, since yeah. we've even spoken with North Korea. And, you know, it's very – it's been very – Trump doesn't get the credit, is what I want to say. Like, imagine if Barack Hussein Osama got this meeting. <laughs> it would be headline news everywhere. Like, everybody would be, right. you know, raving about it in the mainstream media. But with, with Trump, crickets. Right, right. And so that's why shows like yours are so, so important. Because, you know, Trump deserves to be represented the proper way. And and you can at least stand up to what's being said in mainstream media. Yeah, one hundred percent. Josh, I know you want you want to respond. Go ahead, Josh. 
Yeah, no, boy, this has been so. I I am um, um, a, a tiny bit into the lobbying world, so I find I found your whole resume just fantastic. What I, I this is going to be a, a much a little bit of a selfish question, but w- what would you, um, I, I guess, what would you tell someone who's interested in getting into the same area of work? Like, what what do I need to know? to move up in the ranks as well as not to change my political beliefs when I get there? Wow, that's a great question. It is a great question. Um, The first thing is, um, you know, don't give up. You just got to keep coming coming and and work hard and go to as many meetings and receptions and events and read as much as you can and just be out there. And you'll meet people and you'll hand out your business cards and you'll follow up with those people and you'll – maintain relationships that's what washington is all about it's it's you know like you, you know everybody knows it's, it's who you know and so you know maintain maintain your contacts and your your information and what was the other question how you um how to move up uh, how i don't how i don't get sucked into the swamp basically oh so you know it's really important to um don't just hear one um viewpoint you know, actually, that's a great segue into my book because my book is about radicalization and how parents can detect the invisible threats. So an invisible threat in, in, in what you're discussing would be if you're a Republican, you just listen to Republican news and you never listen to anything else and you, all your best friends are Republican and, and that's it. And so it's hard to, um, so it's, a, you know, it's, it's hard to understand the other side if you never read their, you know, you don't, you don't read their articles, you don't speak with them, you don't listen to their news. So, um, and that's also the way radicalization happens in other areas in extremism, is to um, isolate yourself and isolate your information. So I try to read and, and talk to people. Uh, well, actually, my home neighborhood is pretty much Democrat. So, like, I try to listen to what they have to say because it helps me understand my perspective better when I hear what how you know when I hear what they have to say, then I, I I say, well, you know, but what about this or what about that? And it gets you thinking in that way. Make sense? Wow. Yeah. I I uh, boy, I just want to pinpoint that for everyone listening. If you're if you're interested in getting into politics, everything you just said is so 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 true. And yeah, no, I'm I'm I think I'm gonna clip that and then play that every morning when I wake up, just so I have <laughs> that like instilled in my mind. If you need a pep talk, give me another call. I'd be happy to talk. <laughs> Fantastic. I'd love to get connected. Very good. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, but, you know, Valerie, what I, what I, I want to ask you, so, you know, you've, you've witnessed a lot. You've seen a lot. You've lived it. What's the dirtiest thing you've ever seen go on in D.C.? I mean, you've seen some dirty things, some secrets, some some, not, some naughty, some very, like, things that just, you know, are out of the ordinary, totally, you know, against uh, what God would uh, want someone to do. I mean, just all just the corruption. That, I mean, there's the various things. There's so many different things. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not going to give you names, but there's a lot of, um, you know, you, you stay, you're working till two or three in the morning a lot of times, and you're trying Uh-oh. to meet the deadlines for different things. And people are living in their offices basically, so there's going to be affairs, and and that that happens a lot. 
Um, and that's just yeah. the way it is, you know, but it, for some reason, everybody knows, <laughs> you know, those kind of things you want to keep secret in general, but for some reason, everybody knows. So, right. you know, that's what happens here. Did you ever date anybody on Capitol Hill? Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. You did? Everybody does, you know. I mean, that's your office. It's where you work. So, you know, that's where you spend all your time. And everybody knows everybody, you know. Do you have a lot of secrets? <laughs> Do you expect me to tell you the secrets? No, obviously. I mean, no I mean, names, please, obviously, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody's got some skeletons somewhere. Um, right. But, you know, you try to be professional. You know, you're you're here for your profession. You're not here for that kind of stuff. Here's yeah. kind of an opposite question. What, was there anybody okay. that you knew um, or were around that was, that you knew kind of wasn't into any of, like, the slimy stuff? Like, they really kind of kept away from that and focused on their job. Like, any, I don't know if you could think of a name or anybody. You mean senators? Yeah. I mean, my boss, uh, Well, I mean, anybody in the political realm. Were, well, in other yeah, words, in other are. words, real real quick, in other words, I think Josh's qu- question, if we, if we put it in another way, is what percentage of senators and politicians in D.C. had affairs and what percentage stayed to themselves and worked uh-huh. and just kind of mind their own business? I have no idea. I can't go there. But I can tell you... Is that I right, mean, Josh? So, that is that I what you're trying to say? Yeah, I mean, basically. <laughs> I'm just curious. I, I can't tell you. I have no idea. And I, don't, I, didn't, I can't pretend to say that I knew all the people. You know, I know my right. the, the people I worked with, and they were all honest yes. people. I mean, I never saw in my particular offices or with the senators that I worked with, they were amazing. Um, but right. remember, I was young and I was single, and that's a different scene. You know, I mean, the senators in general are, are married, so it's a different, you know, it's a whole different ballgame. Right, absolutely, 100%. And how how long were you actually working in D.C.? Um how, how long were you actually working in D.C. for? Well, I'm still there. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a long time. Um, you know, I was there um, on the Hill for maybe three years, and then I was in the executive, you know, in the White House for a little over a, maybe a year and a half. I was there during um, the transition into the Bush administration, and then, and then I left. So it was... Uh, you know, not that it was a very short time period when Bush came in. But you know, I've been in this area for 30 years, so I've done a lot of um, different kinds of things. And now you can work from home. You can, you know, I'm a writer, so this is what I do. I write about um, issues of the day and things that you know, my own opinions about how things are happening and what can Americans do about it. I'm big on trying to use my ability to write. Um, to teach people what I think can be done about all of these problems. It's one thing just to say we have problems every day, but then what do you do about it? You know, that's, it's something that really I've found people want to have answers to these questions. And I don't always have answers, but I can, I can give some ideas. Right. Absolutely. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, some of the stuff you've been working on lately, like uh, what do you view, uh, what's been going on? Well, so my book came out yesterday. Um, and Congratulations. Great, 
Thank you. We had a great day yesterday and made the bestseller list off of Amazon. And the title is called Backyard Jihad, How Parents Can Detect the Invisible Threat of Radicalization. I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, but yeah. I wanted to have a book for grassroots Americans because your listeners. Yeah, talk about, yeah you know, I know you're, you specialize in, you know, you're an Islamic historian. You specialize in, you know, ISIS and, you know, you've studied that for a long time. And, and your, your new book kind of entails a lot of what's going on. And, and if I re- when I read, you know, about your bio a little bit, this, this book also entails, how ISIS and these terrorist groups are recruiting kids from college campuses and getting these kids stimulated in, in a mindset where, you know, they just get the evil, the evil part where they want to start exactly. killing, you know? Exactly. And you were speaking about that a little earlier. You know, there are a lot of people that don't even believe that there's evil because they're tolerant of that. So right, every, right. everybody's good and everybody's okay. And so there's no, you know, us versus them. And, and, and I think it's a very dangerous attitude um, because, there, like you said earlier, there is evil. And, and our kids have to be able to recognize that so they can be safe. And, and that's really why I wrote the book is to help parents and help kids understand how to be safe and what kind of mindset do you have to have um, when approached by all of these predators out there, whether it's social media whether it's on college campuses, whether it's a professor, it could be, um, you know, wherever people go, they have to have their antenna up. So when somebody approaches them that's not, not somebody they should speak with, they ha- their red flag goes up in their head and they, they know how to deal with it. Because if you've not been taught and you've never had the conversation, um, odds are good that you're going to be naive and you might get sucked into the wrong kind of situation. So well, as a parent, you know, I wanted to write I wanted to write the book as a parent for other parents who don't live in Washington and haven't learned about this. You know, people in your area um, that you know might be uh, you know want to know uh, how, what is going on with all of these school shootings and what is going on with these terrorist attacks all over the world, um, and you know how can I keep my kids safe? And so that was kind of the background or the backdrop of the book why I decided that it was an important issue to address. And as a parent, you know, I wanted to give other parents a kind of a handbook or a manual to use to um, find the bottom line. You know, every, every chapter at the end, I say, what can you do? And then I give some, some ideas or some suggestions just to give um, people an idea of how they can empower themselves. Because we can't, um, we can't depend on other people to keep us safe. You know, um, and part of it actually is the police. The police and the military, you know, we've, kind of, we've lost the respect for the people that are keeping us safe. And it's very important yes. um, to, to get that back and to teach our children, you know, police officers are out there to help you. Right. And, um, you know, and we have to be able to help them help us. If we're going to be against them, then, you know, what's, we're not going to be able to keep ourselves safe alone. Very true. Very true. And, you know, so your book, so pinpointing your book, you know, how, how, you know, how would you describe the whole synopsis? 
So what I do is I explain um, what is Islam and Islamism. They're two different things. Islam is a religion. Islamism is the radical interpretation or the extremist interpretation of Islam. So I use that, um, I use Islamism kind of interchangeably with jihadism. Um, and so the, the Muslim um, listeners of your show, there are two, they would say there are two kinds of, of jihad. One is the internal jihad, um, you know, to try to make yourself a better person and to work on your character traits and these kind of things. And then, but the, in the book, I'm discussing militant jihad, which is the um, the evil, like you're talking about. It's the it's the militant, the the killing of the infidel. The infidel is the uh, the person that does not believe in the same interpretation of of the religion as as the Islamists do. So I start out explaining what you know what is the difference. What is if you know because this is not about the Muslims in the United States in general. And in, in fact, they happen to be the targets of the extreme Muslims, the extreme um, Islamists. So they're really, you know, the first people that are getting hurt. And, and I think, you know, they're getting a bad rap in that way. Um, and so I try my best to stand up for those um, Muslims that, um, you know, want to continue keeping the Constitution you know, they want to obey, you know, laws. They, they want to integrate into society and not try to change our society into the way that they believe. Um, so I think that's a, an important point. And then I go through the book and I talk about various places where radicalization can occur and how does it occur. Um, my view is that it's, it's about emotion. It's not um, an intellectual idea. Um, radicalization comes from a place inside each person, and and these these recruiters, these radical recruiters, are trained specifically to um, find the vulnerability. Like this guy you were talking about earlier, this guy that was shooting all you know in in the in the school, um, it was clear where his vulnerabilities were because he was saying it in, in the in the talk that you were putting on. You know, he was saying what he wanted to do, why he wanted to do it. And he was showing his vulnerability clearly. So once we know that, it's, you know, it's important that members of the society or the community uh, will, you know, do something about it. And I know in the last several uh, shootings in schools, people knew in advance. And nothing, you know, maybe there was not enough, there weren't enough people talking about it or whoever's in charge wasn't able to, you know, bring this person to justice before, um, you know, all these horrible events are taking place and lives are lost and it's, it's terrific. Yeah, one, wow. So, and, and, you know, the name of your book, um, please, um, what, what is the name again? It's called Backyard Jihad, and the reason I named that is because backyard, it's, it's in our neighborhood. The idea is to say, you know, uh, radicalization and jihad is not just in Tora Bora out there, some faraway place. It's here in the United States. The FBI has at least one, um, um, one um, case in every state in the United States. Most, most states have a lot more than one. So I, I think the point that with with um, with backyard jihad is to say it's 
here, and people need to recognize that it's here and, and figure out how they are going to, what are they going to do and how are they going to respond. And then the subtitle is how parents can detect the invisible threat of radicalization. So I focused it towards parents because the majority of um, jihadists are the, between the ages of like 12 to mid-20s. And so if a parent can nip this in the bud before the child leaves the home and goes off to college, they'll have a much better opportunity to stay away from these kinds of predators. Um, and, and then at the end, I talk about how does radicalization occur. So I say it's how parents can detect the invisible threat. So the invisible threat is when children are um, young adults, are changing. They have found a hook. So radicalization occurs when the emotion of, or the vulnerability, like this guy we were talking about, he has this vulnerability. He's isolated. And so he doesn't have a lot of friends, and he admitted that. So he doesn't feel that he belongs, and he gets angry. Okay? So that's the emotional part. And then you, you juxtapose that with an opportunity to meet somebody who wants to put them on the wrong path. And when those two things come together, you've got somebody that's going to be radical. Wow, that is that is just amazing. Right? All right, so like, how do you think about like? Because I know you said you got ways to you know stop it, you know, from the parents' perspective. Like, how do you think it can work? Because I know a lot of people that has that have websites, you know, where they can find that shows them, you know, how to. Um, how to be ra- radicalized, you know, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So how do you think we could work in that, you know, and not necessarily have to go to the government, but how do you think we can stop that too? Because I know, like, the parents can do that, but when they're away from the parents, like, you know, where they're with their friends or, I mean, I don't know, like, they could do that because a lot of the shooters, uh, especially the school shooters I saw, uh, not necessarily radicalized, like, by Islam, but, you know, they have gone on websites about how to create bombs and, you know, all this other stuff. How do you think we can deal with that? So, Exactly. So I think it starts in the home at the dinner table when we teach our kids morals and values and we give them a good foundation of who they are and what they believe in, or at least what the parents believe in. Um, I think what happens is the those that feel isolated or their parents aren't around or um, they don't have a lot of friends. They're going to find something, and and you know maybe it's going to be somebody they talk to on social media, especially now. You know that that's you know I think it's there was some kind of statistic. You know the average teenager spends like four hours a day on some kind of social media. I mean, so if that's the case, they need they really need to be anchored well in their religion and anchored well in their morals and values so that whoever they may meet will not make them stray from that. And that comes from the home to start. Um, wow, that's, and wow. that's the best defense I think we can get. But from there, they have to understand who are their friends. You know, my kids, if they have bring home some friends that I don't think are, are good influences, you know, I try to talk to them. I'm lucky all my, my kids are all have great friends, but 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 that's that's a, a red flag for a parent to, to you yes. know, to make sure and, their kids on the right track. And now, you know, there's a new report out, especially with Facebook. There's a new report out with Facebook the other day 
saying they're enabling um, these ISIS terrorist groups um, to create accounts on Facebook. So it's like they're, mm-hmm. the Facebook uh, uh, management has been ignoring it. So they're basically these terrorist groups that have more access to social media, which is terrifying because you think about all the kind of innocent people they can reach and brainwash. There's some scary, Absolutely. It's a, it's a scary ideology, you know. The majority of people that become radicalized do so on social media. And so that really is the place to be addressed. And it's a very complicated issue because we have First Amendment issues to discuss. You know, what, where does the freedom of speech come and where is the line? And what I understand from legal perspective is that, you know, hate speech is legal. It's someone's opinion. But if they cross the line from hate speech into incitement, into threatening someone, then that's not legal. So, you know, um, I think that's something else is understanding the law, understanding the rules. So if our children know what they're, what's happening around them, they know whether it's okay or not okay. Um, right. You know, because we have freedom of speech, and I'm a very, very big uh, proponent of the Constitution and the First Amendment. Um, on the other hand, you know, there was a, um, a guy from Virginia, Anwar Alalaki, who um, was, uh, spent some time in Yemen, and he became the head of um, a lot of uh, – he, he made a lot of videos that he put online, and many of, of the Americans that became radical watched him and got inspired. So when you have somebody like that, you know, I personally think they should take them down. Um, and I know that I think YouTube did for a while, but somehow they keep coming back. Um, but that's an issue in Congress, as a matter of fact. Um, um, I think Mark Zuckerberg was uh, uh, testifying a couple weeks ago um, in Congress, and, and you know, he's got a ton of power because he controls what people see on social media. And um, so that's something that's being discussed. I don't know, you know how it's going to work out. It's a, it's a new area, but it's certainly extremely important when it comes to our kids' emotions. And how right. they get information. You know, they're controlling information. I mean, it's like 1984. <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. Hey, real quick, this is Josh again. Uh, I want you to speak real quick to the parents that are listening right now. They're thinking, well, this could never happen to my kid. I don't have to worry about it. You know, speak to those people and, yeah. you know, let them know how real, how real of a serious issue this is. Thank you for that question because it's really, really important. Um, so the number one um, thing I would like to tell all the parents is to um, watch your children and speak with them and keep communication open um, and help them to strengthen their own self-awareness. In the American values, I mean, this is this, we don't want them to go astray. Okay, so at the end of each chapter, I give some examples. And at the beginning of every chapter, I have actual um, parents talking about what, um, what happened with their child so that we can learn not to allow that to happen. But I will say the number one and the most important thing is that um, most parents don't know what's happening. They don't know this is radicalization. It could just be a phase. They're teenagers. You know, a lot of stuff goes on in a teenager's life. And so how do you specifically know that it's radicalization, it's jihad radicalization? And my book, I go through all kinds of examples, um, 
you know, suddenly they don't smoke, they don't watch TV, they don't listen to music, they won't eat pork, um, you know, they're changing their clothes, their friends are different, they're spending more time on social media. All of these are clues um, that it could be something that needs to be looked into further. And then at the end, I'll, I'll give um, 10 different ideas. One is, like I said before, the values. And secondly, um, the way that we speak about um, terrorists. Um, remember the Sarnaya brothers, um, one of them was on the cover of, of um, Rolling Stone magazine. So the point is, you know, we have to blame and shame these people and not put their name all over the newspaper and give them their 15 minutes of fame because then they're, they're going to go have copycats. So we need to teach our children that these are bad people and that if somebody comes and talks to them about, um, you know, this fairy tale Disneyland world of, of terrorism, that, you know, they're lying. And, and this is not something you want to, um, you want to copycat. And I could go on and on and on. Um, but Very in the book, amazing. I tell, you know, I spell it out a lot, a lot better so that you can, you know, get fact and point by point. Um, very, but I guess the very point well, is that it is invisible to a lot of parents. The threat of radicalization is invisible, and the majority of them do say they had no idea. And so I'm just trying that, to alert parents. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Valerie, um, we do have only a few minutes left. You can stay on. We're going to have our next guest on, but you're more than welcome to stay on. Um, I do want to ask you. you a few more questions. Uh, you can sure. also, you know, jump in, jump in on the topics with us. You're more than welcome. But real quick, before okay. the next guest comes in, guest comes in, I really want you to tell us about your international security. You're an international security expert, so you know a lot about that. So please, kind of oh, tell you. us a little bit about that. Okay. So when I was doing my research on this book, um, I decided that I wanted to use it as a segue into a security company. Because people are asking me, I can write, you know, these are the things you need to do, but it's, it's hard to actually practice without somebody that has an expertise. So I work with Israeli Defense Force um, people that are, um, they've left Israel and they now live in the United States, but they have all of this background and training um, on how to keep secure. And I'm, I'm going around to schools and asking if they have had vulnerability assessments by a professional. You know, how are these people with guns getting into the school? It's not about the guns. It's about the fact that they're able to get this stuff inside the building. And that, that's ridiculous. So the, the security of every single school, the security of, of stadiums, of concert halls, of corporations, you name it, they all need vulnerability assessments. Um, and that way, you know, they're going to be safer. Um, and then we also do cyber because, you know, the information also has to be secure. So we do cyber vulnerability assessments. Um, and that's, that's really, I think, the importance of, of this, whole, this whole thing is keeping our families safe and keeping our corporations safe. Absolutely. Well said. I want to welcome our next guest to the show, um, Brian Bache. Is a um, he's got a huge resume. Political strategist, contributor to the contributor to the Washington Times and LightZet.com, keynote speaker, best-selling author, success coach to thousands of entrepreneurs worldwide, and founder of the Millennial Solution. How are you, buddy? Good to have you on. Good to have Good you to be back. back. You've been here before. You've been here. You've been here before, like uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. God, um, so you know. 
we definitely have a lot to talk about. You know, you have a lot going on. I, I see you in the news. I, I see, you know, you, you, you got good stuff uh, you're working on with the Millennial uh, Project. How's it going? Tell us a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's an incredible time. I mean, it's an incredible economy. I mean, our our, our business, I think, in the on first fire. two quarters of – Yeah, it's on fire. The first two quarters of, you know, this this year has quadrupled for us. Just so many companies looking to attract – incredible millennial talent and not only attract them but keep them for the long term uh in this economy. I mean the fascinating thing for us is to watch that for millennials, you know, those under thirty six years old down to the age of nineteen, eighteen years old, this is the first up economy they've experienced in their adult lives. They don't even know they haven't even known up until this point what an up economy a an economy in, in the profit zone, if you will, yeah. uh, even feels like. So it, it, for them, this is, I think, this is probably pretty shocking to them. I mean, it's, you know, you know, Brian, y- you bring up a great point because I've, you know, I've reviewed statistics. I reviewed numbers. I reviewed a lot of, you know, different polls and, and different things that, you know, relate to, um, with the way the economic uh, system currently stands, and we're living in probably the best economy ever. I mean, with all the regulations that Trump has cut, with everything he's passed, with everything he's promised and delivered on, I mean, this is one of yeah. the best times to be alive, to be alive and be in business and to be active and to be making money. I mean, it's. I mean, we're we're back to, you know. <laughs> 2005, 2006, we're back to the best times of real estate market, um, the financial market. Um, getting rid of Dodd-Frank was a huge, uh, big victory this week. Yeah. Um, there, there's, so, there's so many things, you know. Yeah, I mean, there is. And I look at it for millennials because that's, we care about our generation so much. They're one of the most educated yeah. generations on the planet. We've got to stop looking yeah. at them as they're the enemy because Democrats are losing millennials left and right. Millennials, I think, yeah. are a mixed bag. More independence among millennials than Xers and Boomers ever uh, could have ever had that many millennials or that many independents. And I think that Republicans and conservatives need to start making their arguments towards millennials. I mean, two big things right. that would help Republicans win over millennials a private sector yeah. student loan solution, and two, talking about entrepreneurship and opportunity. And that's something that Republicans, being free market thinkers, have the clear advantage on. And, and you know what blows my mind is you have the left and you have these liberals, and what absolutely blows my mind is you have the liberals and you have the left, and they want to protest for minorities. They want to say they're for you know, black rights and all these human rights. And look at black unemployment, the lowest it's ever been. Look at Hispanic unemployment, the lowest it's ever been. Do you see the left? Do you see the Democrats talking about that? They're sure out there protesting the less than 1% chance of the time that a, a white cop goes after, a, you know, a black guy, but uh, it never happens. It's a rare occurrence. That's why I said less than 1% chance. But you never see them as well with the 99% uh, crime with black on black, but that's a different topic. But I'm just saying you see everything that's happening. No president has ever had the lowest black unemployment in history. No president has ever had the lowest uh, unemployment Hispanic, uh, his, uh, the lowest Hispanic unemployment in history. I mean, this is, these are records. 
And where's the media? Crickets. No, it's crickets because, you know, what's really terrifying to them right now, you've got two incredible pop culture stalwarts, if you will, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. You know, Kim Kardashian is at the White House today. Kanye, he's not not even tweeting full-throated support of the president. He's He's the Ted Love Kanye. Yeah, I mean, Kanye is just simply saying, hey, I believe in free thought. Two words that are very, very terrifying to the left. Yeah. And here's the thing. You know, I've I've loved Kanye West's music since 2004. I've always looked at Kanye West as a vision, a visionary. I mean, he, the guy is a, a mastermind. The guy is a genius. Not only is he a brilliant artist, lyrical wise, he has his own several businesses. He's a, a phenomenal marketer. Um, yep. He perhaps he, his shoe line is perhaps one of the is perhaps the richest in the industry. It's debatable. It's like in the top five. Um, but you yep. see all the way. He's just a smart guy. He's a businessman. And he sees that in Trump. And I, you know, I saw Kanye in concert in 2006. Unbelievable performer. Nothing like you've ever, it's, it's nothing like you've ever seen before. But I always had a feeling in my heart that he was a Republican. Just the way he carried himself. I mean, he was, how you know, could I could see a lot. Yeah, I know. I could see a lot of how him and Trump resonate with each other. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Kanye doesn't want to be controlled, and Kanye realizes the Democratic Party is the plantation. Get off of it. Get off of it while you can. Yeah, Kanye West, I mean, here's the thing. That's terrifying to the left, to have pop culture icons of that size and scope speaking he's into a young generation. Rapper, yeah. he's, he's arguably the best rapper of his, his generation. It's, it's debatable, but there's, I mean, a lot of people think so. I mean, that's a big threat. You're right. Yeah, I mean, it's a big threat to have him speaking into millennials and Gen Z. And the thing is, he's not saying, hey, go be conservative. He simply says, be a free thinker. Put down your phone and think for yourself. And the thing is that liberal-minded folks don't want you thinking for yourself because the moment you do that, the moment you realize that you have talent to contribute to an economy, make money, live your own life, make your own decisions, you're conservative. End of story. And you know what bothers me? Like, there's a few things that really bother me. I mean, look, look at what President Trump did today. He passed the Right to Try Act, and the, the liberal media, the mainstream media, is crickets. I mean, this bill that he passed today is literally going to save people's lives. This is literally going to, you know, uh, it's going to make the biggest significant impact possible on people that mm-hmm. need the care. And it's, uh, it's an amazing thing that he did. And you know, the credit, and we've talked about this so many times, he did, never gets the credit he deserves. He never does. And, I mean, this is a bill that if done He could President cure Obama, cancer and they'd still yell at him. Yeah, if, it was, if this was a bill, if this bill was you know, signed into law under President Obama, they'd be shooting confetti cannons out of the ceiling. You know, and, and, and because this is the party that supports the right to die legislation, the right to take pills in a cocktail strong enough to kill yourself if you don't want to live any longer, this is a bill that they should support, right? The ability to get innovative care that could kill you, could, could kill you, yeah. but it's worth a shot because yep. you're going to die anyway. You don't hear a darn thing. Yeah, I mean, and you see the left's platform. We all see it. 
the Democratic platform is literally, it's nothing but communism. It's the same thing that has killed millions and millions of people. But, you know, we Mm -hmm. see all the stupidity in the protesters in the street believing it's such a great thing. But look at Venezuela. They think it's such a great thing. Move your ass down there. Yeah, have fun. That sounds like fun. You know, those, you know, the, and those, those elections always seem so legitimate, don't they? Yeah, I know. Jesus Christ. What a sham. <laughs> anyway, wow. Uh, well, so, I, know. Uh, I don't know. I just, yeah. T- tell us what you're working on, though. You're working on a lot of stuff. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, I tell you what, the biggest thing that we've done here in the first uh, first, first and second quarter of this year is we've interviewed well over 100 executives, Fortune 500 level and above, you know, talking about student loans. You know, student loans are the number one problem for millennials. Yep. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it causes them to put off, you know, buying homes, getting married, having kids, three big things they should be doing in their mid to late 20s. And they can't afford to do it. Now, should we write off their student loan debt? No, they still sign the promissory note. But the point is there are private sector solutions to this. So something we're pushing for big time with both the president and also uh, Congress is supporting a bill that would allow companies to use pre-tax dollars to help employees pay off their student loan debt, not to get the government to write it off, but to put more money back into companies and taxpayers' pockets to solve this problem in a rapid form. If Republicans did that, it would be a massive opportunity for them to develop a relationship with millennials and then pair that with economic opportunity and entrepreneurship. That's what we're pushing for when it comes to politics. And in the private sector side, it's, I mean, it's our heart and it's our passion to see companies look at this generation not with frustration, but look at them as one of the most talented generations that have ever existed and find a way to optimize them in the marketplace. I love it, man. So well said, man. So well delivered. And, you know, I'm sure you're, you're – are you doing quite a bit of legislation stuff, different stuff in the D.C. area right now? Yeah, we're – I mean, that, that's what we're pushing for right now. We we believe, you know, you probably know my wife, Gabrielle, you know, she, uh, you know, founded the Millennial Solution, and we run it together. Uh, now we have over t- you know, a huge team around the country uh, working all over the place. Uh, but for us, we feel a duty – to our generation to find a private sector solution to student loans because here's the thing. You know what's going to happen is when boomers and extras start downsizing homes and want to sell their homes, there are not going to be enough qualified millennial purchasers to buy their homes. So I think that if we don't solve the student loan issue in some kind of quick fashion with a private sector solution, I think we're going to experience another housing dip because millennials Uh aren't going to be able to qualify for the mortgages. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 definitely a lot of um, things that need to be turned around in that area. I mean, there's a lot of uh, issues, and I know, I know because I have friends that are um, going through this experience and going through this um, inconvenience. It's it's absolutely a big issue in this country, and I definitely know my I know my co-hosts want to respond to this, uh, Gianni or Josh. I'd love to. I'd love to take a stab at this if you don't mind. This is Josh. Um, hey, yeah, go how's ahead, it Josh. going? So, uh, I uh, I listened to Dave Ramsey a little bit, and I was listening to a bunch of his stuff today as I was working out. And it is, and just to talk about the student loans again, boy, it is incredible the number of people that will either sign themselves up or uh, will be, you know, the the other signature on the loans as a parent that are two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars in student debt. 
and yep. their kid hasn't finished. The, you know, the, the, either they or their kid haven't hasn't finished um, with a degree yet, or you know they switched. Uh, you know, their what they want to do so many times that they're nowhere close to being done. These people are 28 years old and they're still living at home and have no idea what they want to do with their life. How can we fix? Not only I, 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 you know, talking about how we can fix the um, the student loan situation, but how can we fix the whole system of getting rid of this problem in general? I'm I'm with you. I think what I was just talking about is an immediate solution to the problem financially when it comes to getting 1.5 trillion dollars in student loans, you know, paid down as quickly as possible. But there's the inherent deeper problems, is and that is we are not at the high school level teaching our children and in our homes to look at education with a return on investment perspective, meaning we've got to consider what this is worth in the marketplace before we spend all this money on just skill set that may be totally useless. And the second thing is we have to look at what the government has created here. The government took over the student loan marketplace in 2009 at the same time we passed Obamacare legislation, and it immediately became the largest predatory lender in America, just like predatory lenders were taking over the housing market and then it crashed. The United States government is the biggest predatory lender, period. They give away student loans yep. like candy. They don't check people's finances, and then they hold them to these interest rates. And it's ridiculous because what happens is all of the colleges inflate their tuition prices to the absolute maximum level until they can take as much money from the government as possible to build more buildings to run classes like basket weaving and, you know, you know insert punchline here. The culture – of this kind of predatory lending at the government level is what's causing this problem and allowing tuition to get out of control. Follow-up question: Do you think do you think that that the um, the college market, so to speak, is going to have a bubble? Is in a bubble and the bubble is going to burst just like the housing market did, just like the tech market did? I wouldn't necessarily call it a bubble. I don't think it will be that catastrophic that quickly. But what I do think is going to happen is that as the next generation comes up and they see their older brothers and sisters going through all this college debt headache and their parents even start talking about it, I think you're going to see, especially in Gen Z and the younger millennials, that less of them are going to choose to go to college and look for more affordable ROI options or look for ways to spend money on things that will give them skill sets they can actually use in the marketplace. I think that's what's going to happen. And I think that's going to cause a lot of contraction in terms of enrollment. And I think you're going to see some small colleges and universities that don't have enough, you know, endowment, if you will, they're going to disappear. Gotcha. Boy, that's, um, I, you know, I, you know, and with uh, Trump obviously talks about the technical schools a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously increased numbers in those schools. How big of a deal do you think technical type jobs, um, are going to become in the next 10 years? Well, I mean, look, we deal with manufacturing and trade companies all the time. It's one of our big areas of work that we do at the Millennial Solution. And a couple of months ago, we were at a, we were at a forum at the White House with the President Ivanka Trump, you know, Secretary of, of Labor Acosta, speaking just about this issue. And the thing is, we talk with manufacturing and HVAC you know, CEOs all the time, and they're like, it's not retaining millennial talent that I, I deal with like the tech companies do. I have a hard time finding qualified millennial talent because there's been a higher education system and a high school guidance counselor system 
that has told millennials that blue collar jobs are not for you. That's for the that's for loser people or things like that. That is, and it's been this mindset that's been baked into this generation by a bunch of higher education folks, as if manufacturing jobs were less than dignified and it's not something you should do with your life. You know, I've met so many HVAC CEOs in just the last couple of years, air conditioning CEOs that own massive companies. They started in a van repairing air conditioning systems, and now they own 20, 30, 40, $50 million companies. It's crazy. Hey, man, that is – I mean, everything you just said is so true. Uh, I love it. But, yeah, and, and I, I, I just really appreciate what you're doing to try to push in this kind of new, uh, you know, new – way of thinking, you know, and even I'm a homeschooled 20-year-old who, you know, graduated high school in 2015, and um, even I still, you know, even though my parents did a fantastic job parenting me, um, and I I think I learned a lot more than I would have in public school, but, you know, even even with the couple years I've been in college, this whole anti-blue-collar, you know, way of thinking is being pushed on me. And, you know, the only reason I'm even neutral self-consciously is because I listen to so many podcasts and read so many books on the ulterior side. But if it wasn't for that, I would be totally against any blue-collar work, and I'd be trying to get, you know, my degree in lesbian dance or whatever. <laughs> yeah, hey, real, real quick. Real quick, my, my co-host jo- my co-host Josh, I did not know you were homeschooled, but I'll tell you, man, you are one hell of a smart dude. Your parents did a, a great job, man. I mean, you're beyond I mean, you're beyond your time for sure. Yeah, I, I appreciate it and it's all to my mom and dad. I got nothing to take for myself, so But uh, you very nice, very nice. And and, and Brian, I, I wanna I really wanna get into detail with you. There's a lot, you know. You're you're an economic guy. You're, you know, you're you're into the financial industry, and you know, you're doing a lot of this 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 amazing these amazing things. I mean, it was just announced today. I mean, you, that Chick Fil A workers are going from eleven dollars an hour to eighteen dollars an hour, and this is because of Trump's tax cuts. Another thing that was announced today. Trump tax cuts have sparked more reduction in 13 states. I mean, and it just keeps going and going. I mean, we're and the, and we're seeing all of these amazing um, results. I mean, there's all these reports. It's nothing but good news every day, as long as people are reading the right uh, the right news source, of course. Yeah, totally. I mean, if you're if you if you if you own a company like like we do. Uh, you have to be a really great salesperson no matter what job position you're sitting in. And, you know, it makes my job a lot easier when working with big companies that their budgets are a lot bigger because they've saved a boatload on taxes and can they do, and they can do what they should be doing, and that's investing into their people, retaining their millennials, optimizing their talent. You know, I see the direct result of this. Companies have more money. Families yep. have more money. And here's the yep. thing. There's tons of social studies on this, especially one of them that I could cite specifically. It was a 40-year study out of the University of Chicago that literally says people who are happy at work are twice as likely to say they are happy in life overall. You know, there's dignity in work, there's value in yep. work, and there's pride in work. And we haven't really seen that celebrated for the last decade until this president became president, that we've, we're starting to see dignity in work again, and it's something that should be celebrated. 100%. Bravo, man. Bravo. 
And yeah, like I, mean, I was, we... I was gonna say. Go ahead, Johnny. Yeah, I was gonna say it kind of fits into uh, what Trump is trying to do with vocational schools too. Like uh, Josh, Josh was saying, you know, it's like that was the strength of the middle class back then. You know, my grandfather. You know, he worked at uh, uh, John Deere in the South, and he had a nice house, nice family, um, raised my uh, my mom and them very nice and things of that nature. So I think it was a real good thing. You know, that's what middle class is about, you know, working at plants and so forth. Yeah, I mean, if you love what you do, if you're really happy in life, you love what you do every single day, you're going to treat your family better. You're going to care for them better. You're going to be kinder in your words. You're going to treat your spouse better. There are so many things that being happy at work impact in the home. And, you know, even Bill Clinton said it. If people are happy with their wallet, you know, the rest of the, you know, I mean, seriously, Bill Clinton literally said something to the effect of if people are happy in their wallets, they'll be happy overall. It's true. Solve the economic problems, and a lot of the social issues that we deal with on a day-to-day basis will begin to work themselves out. I not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but go ahead. Sorry, Brian. I just had to say that. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's true. So, I mean, it, it, and, and I think a lot of presidents would be wise to focus on that, whether Republican or Democrat, is just focus on improving the economic station in the lives of their constituents and the people of this country. And many of the folks in this nation who are reasonable thinking people, whether in the middle or somewhat to the left or even on the right, if they are happier in their economic situation, they're going to be more likely to band together, united with their fellow Americans, and come together as a nation despite typically disagreeing on social issues. When people are bored, when they don't have meaningful work in front of them, we get a fascination as a culture with fighting over social issues. And, and yeah, and I mean, I, I totally, I totally agree. You know, I actually ran into this couple today. Well, not, not a couple, but a couple of two, two women. And um, I guess they were maids, you know, or they, they clean mm-hmm. people's houses. This is a richer neighborhood, you know, mostly white people. And, you know, they were waiting uh, to go in the house, you know, to clean the house and stuff. Now from a person, you know, with a liberal mindset, oh, that's racist. You know, they're cleaning white people's house. You know, that's what they think. <laughs> But I actually, yeah, I actually went to talk to them, and this it's their business. That's their business. They love cleaning. If you, like you said, if you love what you do, if you are the best cleaner ever, then you can do that without anything being racist or anything like that. They own their own business, and I guarantee you I talked to them, and, you know, they were like, you know, they, they're living good. They're actually Trump supporters, and they're Hispanic, by the way. Um, and they were Trump supporters, and they said they love what he's doing, and – you know, they have a nice cleaning business. She says she lives in the good part of town. She's very middle class. And she also said she loves what she's doing. So that kind of fits in what we're talking about now. I don't care what you are, whether you're a janitor, whatever. Like, if you're working and you have something to do and you have something in your pocket, like, I feel like that's what people are worried about. They're not worried about LGBT issues. Oh, I got to call you they. I got to call you this. Oh, Nobody geez. cares about that. Everybody wants to know. Can I put food on the table for my family at the end of the day? And can I have a roof over my head? And that's why I believe Trump was elected. Absolutely. I, I think yeah. exactly right. Yeah, I think exactly right. Go, Brian. Go ahead, Brian. You're <laughs> I think I'm mean, totally right. There's dignity in work, and I'm a big believer in this. I mean, it's fact, it's the subject of a book that my wife Gabrielle and I are working on this year called The Purpose Equation, and that the more that companies and individuals seek to inject their individual purpose – 
into their day-to-day work and they get something back from the economy in terms of, you know, influence or, or money to take care of their family, you know, you really stop looking at the visceral differences that, you know, we, we look at each other with. I mean, you start to see that people are a little bit more reasonable when things at home aren't so desperate. You know, I'd like to see where we get to a point as a nation that we're not focusing on the 98% of things that we disagree with and instead looking for the 2% of things that we can start to build common ground on. That would be ideal. That would be ideal as a nation, and I think we have a chance to get there if we can get this economy to continue to grow like it is. 100%. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I I mean, absolutely well said, Brian. And, you know, I know you're – you're doing a lot of great things with the millennials and you're, you're trying to motivate them and put them in the right direction. And, you know, we live in a time at this, you know, right now where opportunity, it, the sky's the limit. It's unlimited. I mean, we, there is nothing that we cannot, I mean, it, it's, it, it, this is the time to be alive. I mean, this is the time to be an entrepreneur. This is the time to be a businessman. I mean, I own various businesses. I own a few different businesses, and I can tell you that this is the time. This, this is. I mean, we've ne- this is. There's never been anything like this economy. I mean, it's a. It's a beautiful blessing, and we have perhaps the greatest business negotiator of all time in the White House, which is. I mean, oh, I mean that's a beautiful blessing from God. I can tell you that much. I, I you know, I listen to all of you guys. This is this is this is Mike from New York, and uh, I don't know if you remember, but I mentioned I'm a I'm a government contractor, and I listen to everybody what you're saying and everything, and I'm like, Hallelujah, Amen, outstanding, wonderful, except for one thing. In my area where I am, my wife and I own the business as contractors. Um, we're seeing and dealing with every day all the leftover Obama bullshit that they left in place in government contracting that we have to deal with it with that mentality and that mentality is still alive and well. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping to God that Trump gets in there and modifies, changes that system, puts somebody in charge to clean it up and start putting common sense back into government contracting. Because the way the system is right now... it's frustrating as hell. Mike, I'll tell you. To, Mike, where, it's, there's no incentive for you to do a good job. There's no incentive whatsoever. Mike, where are you out of? Mike, I, I think you've called before, but where are you out of? You're out of New oh, York, yeah. correct? I'm up in New York. I'm, I'm the one that's a half hour north of Mordor. Yeah, the, yeah that's what New I thought. York it was New York. Yeah, okay. And that's me. Gotcha. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it, yeah. when, I'm seeing, when I'm seeing competition and, and they outbid me, by one time where I was up by three cents a meal per meal and they gave it to a contractor to feed, I feed military to feed troops. And they brought the guy in from Louisiana. Now think this up in your head. Any of us common sense. Now this guy has to bring his staff with him. He has to drive. He has to pay hotels. He has to from Louisiana. You're going to tell me that those charges aren't going to come off that soldier's plate. So what is the soldier going to be fed in the meantime? Garbage. Wow. So the contracting officer, instead of using common sense like any of us would do, will look at that and go, well, he's three cents cheaper. It's, we have to go with We're mandated to go with this. It's not best value. Best value applies only after you hit a certain threshold in IT contracts and everything else. But in, in something like many of the smaller contracts I, like this, it's, it's unbelievable what we see. And it's all still that mentality left over from Obama. 
Obama really trashed the government contracting. I mean, uh, they suspended all A76 cost studies. Uh, it's, so we've, we've still got a fight on our hands. And I'm just hoping that little by little it takes time. I understand that I'm having patience. It takes time for the government to move and for the federal government to turn its eyes and its focus on contracting and fix it. Yeah, you know? Mike, this is Josh. You're so absolutely right. Just, I mean, I hope and pray every single night that, um, and, and specifically in government contracting, the idea, and, and in the government in general, the idea that common sense in, in, in a free market, uh, you know, in, um, idea is not being put forth is absolutely ridiculous. You know, like, yep. there should have been no reason why you shouldn't have got that contract. And the more that, and I, I hope and pray, like you're talking about, that Trump pushes this forward, that the closer we get to a free market type of way of thinking, the better it'll be for everyone. It'll be better for you. It'll be better for the grocery yep. store down the street. It'll be better for the dude who owns a gym. It'll be better for everyone. Yeah, it, it, it will. But it's frustrating right. as hell when you get... We've had the government come down on us many times and, and tell me outright that what we do is illegal, my wife and I, that by exceeding the minimum requirements of the contract, we are bribing the troops and that we should be going strictly by their Army 14-day menu. That has three-ounce pork chops on it. I'm not going to serve my dog a three-ounce pork chop. Right. It's outdated. We have, we, have about four, we have about four minutes left, but, Brian, I want to get your thoughts uh, before, you, before you go. But uh, go ahead, Brian. All right, guys, thanks. Yeah, I mean, on the government contracting space and even in the employment of federal workers, I mean, you saw the executive order just about a week ago that President uh, Trump signed that makes it easier to fire federal workers, not specifically talking about contractors, but federal workers. You know, I'm thinking he needs to get all deal crafty, and I think – you know what I think he needs to do? He needs to seek some funding from Congress. He needs to have a hiring event to bring on a whole bunch of new federal workers. It will look like he's trying to expand government at first. And then after all the new ones come in, he fires all of the Obama holdovers, right? So he fills it up and then cuts everybody out. That's what I think. Instead of, instead of firing them all first and then filling the slots, I say you uh, double up in most of the departments and then you fire all the Obama holdovers, and then you have no uh, lapse in government. Right. <clears throat> yeah, well said. I mean, it, you know, there, there has to be – there definitely has to be a – you know, things adjusted and things done. And, you know, we know that. I mean, it's obviously visible. Um, but, uh, and, and Trump, and we see Trump every day taking care of a new problem. He's always delivering on something. So, you know, Trump is going to, uh, you know, do everything that he promised. And he's also going to do everything that's right for the American people. And we see that, you know, it's, um, I see a lot of these problems, uh, being taken care of, and uh, I don't see them being ignored. Yeah, I don't either. They're on, I the, think, they're, um, you know, they're on his agenda. They're definitely on his agenda. They they are. I do, I do think that, and I think that he's, you know, as a farmer businessman is probably, you know, I'm a businessman, so typically when I say I want something done, you know, I'm only limited by the pace that I can go at or my team can go at, but when you're in government like that, I'm sure it's pretty frustrating that, you know, when you used to be able to, you know, snap your fingers and things started to move on a dime, you know, you're probably you, you're not you're probably pretty frustrated with uh, the slow pace that the federal government moves. But hey, it's government. We don't want government to be able to move too fast because then they can shove bad things down our throat too. So so true, uh, so true, Brian. Hey, Brian, uh, we have about two minutes left. Uh, 
But Brian, I want to thank you for coming on, man. We're, we're gonna have you. We're gonna have you back on soon. Um, if you want to announce anything, go ahead. Feel free. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, one of my favorite things to do every single day, and I talk about this all the time, is to work with you know companies of all shapes and shapes and sizes, whether you know in the tech space or the manufacturing and trade space, like we were talking about tonight, is helping CEOs and leaders you know, engage this generation of talent. This is the most educated generation ever in the history of the United States. They're talented. They got to be motivated through a sense of purpose and mission. And, and honestly, that's what we do. We're over at millennialsolution.com. Tons of free resources. Jump over there and grab some, talk to us. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. 100%, man. It was a pleasure talking to you, Brian. And uh, we'll have you back on soon. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I, I God, we got so much great things uh, established tonight. I, I love having you on, as always. Yeah, be back soon. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Cheers, man. Bye. All righty. I want to – is Valerie still there? I'm still here. Excellent. Valerie, I want to thank you. Discussion. Oh, thank you. There, thank you. I, I want to thank you for coming on tonight. You were a great guest. You gave us a, gra- a lot of great insight, a lot of good info. Your knowledge is amazing. We'll have you back on very soon. I want to thank my co-hosts, uh, Gianni and Josh. Um, you can visit. Everybody can visit my website, the Donald J. Trump Store.com. Again, that's the Donald J. Trump Store.com for all your creative and unique. Um, and customized uh, Trump apparel. We have many, uh, hundreds of different shirts and clothing to choose from. You can also visit RorySodder.tv. Again, that's RorySodder.tv. You can also visit MakingChristianityGreatAgain.com. Again, that's MakingChristianityGreatAgain.com. <laughs> that's all religious-oriented Trump merchandise and apparel, which I think everybody will love very much. Um, I want to thank all my guests for tonight. I want to thank everybody. Uh, we've had a great show. We got to, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, any of my co-hosts want to announce anything, go ahead. Feel free. Uh, just real quick, Josh, I just want to just, again, rep Valerie's book. Uh, please go out and buy it. I am for sure going real to go quick. get it off Amazon as soon as this is over. So I'm super hyped. Ten, se- ten, ten seconds. Excellent. Okay. And uh, thank you all. Um, God bless. We will see we see you tomorrow night. Cheers, everybody. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.